the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Please welcome back to the show Ambassador Nikki Haley. She served as the U.N. Ambassador for the United States from 2017 to 2019. She previously, of course, governor of South Carolina, been a guest on the show a number of times. Uh, Ambassador Haley, welcome back. Good to be have you with us. Congratulations on the publication of With All Due Respect, your new book, With All Due Respect, on bestseller lists everywhere. Good morning. Good morning, Hugh. It's great to be with you again. Thank, Thank you. you. I, I just want to get the early commitment. If you run for president ever, you will talk to me once a month, right? Well, why don't we wait and see if that ever happens? Yeah, I don't but I'm just about that. <laughs> just a contingency. If you do, you'll come back every month, won't you? I, this is what I can promise you. If I don't, I will continue to come back. Okay, that's good. If you do, I, I assume that's included there within. Uh, have you ruled out running in 2024? By the way. You know, to be honest, I just think it would be foolish for me to even be thinking about that. A year is a lifetime in politics, and, you know, a lot can happen in five years, so I think it would be wasted energy. So, I mean, my rule is to take it one election at a time, and right now, you know, I want to see the president and the vice president get reelected. We're out there helping um, good people for Senate seats and governor races and all of those other things. So just trying to help my friends where I can. So no Sherman-esque statement from you this morning? No. All right. Let me turn to, with all due respect, I want to start, oddly enough, with the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East. Or how do you guys pronounce the acronym at the U.N.? UNRWA. UNRWA. Uh, Would you tell people what the controversy about UNRWA is? Well, it's an agency that's meant to take care of Palestinian refugees, but it's, it's unlike any other refugee system out there. I mean, first of all, you know, we had numerous problems with them because they, um, you know, in their textbooks, there were numerous times that they would have things that were anti-Israel or violent in some way. So we would try and push them to take that stuff out of their textbooks. Um, They would always have their hand out. But at the same time, it's the only agency that continues to count refugees forever. So if, you know, a Palestinian leaves that area and goes even to another country, they're still treated like a refugee and still given aid like a refugee. And so the number of refugees continues to grow, you know, forever. And so we multiple times tried to get them to reform, and they just wouldn't. And on top of that, they were anti-U.S. And so um, it was something I fought hard for to get them to reform. And when they didn't, I fought hard to get the the aid pulled. Was any of the money that UNRWA got from us, which I guess $120 million a year, as you detail in the book, with all due respect, was any of it diverted to Hamas or in any other corrupt way? 
Well, that's the part we didn't know. I mean, Hamas was digging tunnels actually under the schools. And we even asked to try and get help with, you know, identifying those tunnels. And they wouldn't work with us there either. And, you know, the thing is, they just wanted the money and they didn't want any questions asked. And there was a lot of danger in that. One, it's taxpayer dollars and you don't want money going to anything that would be helping um terrorists or an organization that's just losing money. I mean, since since um, I had that fight trying to pull the money, the executive director has been fired. You know, multiple things have happened in, in reference to that. I mean, you know, I think you should always be making sure that every dollar we send goes and is spent in a way that the American people would want it to be. Well, what struck me, Ambassador Haley, reading with all due respect, a couple of things. We'll come to the controversy about the money in a second, but what you describe about the United, uh, United States trying to get accountability and corruption stop the abuse is very similar to what the United States has been trying to accomplish in Ukraine. Have you seen the parallel to this uh, unfold in front of your eyes? Well, I think we've seen it in multiple areas where we give aid is that we don't want to give aid to places that are involved in corruption. We don't want to give aid to places where we think it's going to line someone's pockets. And, and I think that should always be the case. So Nancy Pelosi says the the phone call the president had with the President Zelensky, where he congratulates him and then says, I'd like a favor and asks him to investigate corruption, whose name is Biden in this case, Hunter Biden and Burisma. Do you think that's bribery, as Nancy Pelosi said yesterday, or is that just what we do in foreign affairs? It was two presidents having a conversation and talking about, I mean, look, the president of Ukraine that just got elected got elected because he was going to curb corruption. His own people elected him because he ran on um, a platform of getting rid of corruption. So for the president to be talking to him about corruption, this was right in his wheelhouse. This was exactly what he was elected to do. So, you know, for him to bring that up, that was just one more level of corruption that, you know, I think needed to be addressed. So you believe, do you reject out of hand Nancy Pelosi's charge of bribery? Yes. I mean, because nothing, I mean, look, they can call it whatever they want, but I choose not to go by the words. I choose to go by the facts. And when you look at the transcript, I mean, no investigation happened. The money flowed and nowhere in there is any kind of threat or demand that it has to get done. Unbelievably, because you wrote this book before this Ukraine controversy surfaced, the UNRWA conversation that is the most controversial part of, without, with all due respect, is exactly the Ukraine situation set in, in the Palestinian territory. It's, just, it's the same thing. It, it is. It is. Yes. All right. Now, the controversy is you wanted to cut off all 120 million. Rex Tillerson did not want to cut it. Rex Tillerson crashes a meeting. John Kelly, the chief of staff, is there. The president says, work it out. What happens after that? Well, you know, the president was uh, was leaning my way on pulling the aid. And he finally just said, OK, you guys go figure it out. We then go to John Kelly's office and for um Almost two hours, you know, they continue to tell me why they want to go ahead and fund the aid and, you know, how if we don't give the money that schools will close, people will die, problems will happen, you know, and I was pushing the fact that, look, we just talked to the president. The president says that he agrees that we should pull the aid. And this wasn't the first time, Hugh. I mean, this was like constant that every single time the president would make a decision, um, you know, Rex just didn't agree with it. And so, you know, we everything was always discussed. Everybody's voice was heard. Um, but when we'd walk out the Situation Room from having a discussion, you know, 
many times they would stall or stop or just not do what the president had requested. And so then finally, I think that they were exhausted from talking to me. And they just at that point said, look, um, we are not trying to undermine the president. What we're trying to do is save our country. And, you know, this is something where um, we don't think that he knows what's best. And Rex went on to say, look, if I didn't do the things I that I did to stop his efforts, people would die. No, I, be- I believe that about uh, Rex Tillerson, because the reports of his ego are not limited to you, Ambassador Haley. I know a lot of people at state, uh, and I know the Secretary of State now, and I know the National Security Advisor now, and I know, I've know i known everyone in D.C. for all this period of time, and you're not the only person who has said that Rex Tillerson had ego problems. But I am surprised that General Kelly, in your book, is portrayed as undermining the president and, in fact, working across purposes. Is that well, what you I- intended to say? Well, and and let me make this clear, because I think it's really important. I think both of these men wanted to serve their country and wanted to serve it well. I think both of them were patriots in wanting to do that. This was an issue of they weren't saying that we had a rogue president or, you know, someone who was unfit for the position. These were men who disagreed with pulling out of the Iran deal, disagreed of pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, disagreed, you know, with whether it be UNRWA or whether it be moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So these were policy differences. These weren't anything more than that. And I don't know exactly where John Kelly fell on all of those issues. I just know that he and Rex were very close and very tight, and the two of them worked closely together. And it was it was um, General Kelly that said, look, I don't even think the president knows if congressional people are elected or not. And I spend every day trying to keep him from from doing, you know, things he shouldn't be doing. And that's when, you know, we talked about the fact these are policy differences. And, you know, I've, I've long said and I, I still believe that they have every right to have policy differences but they should take those to the president or they should quit. Now, this is a very important thing because uh, I'm shocked because General Kelly is a four-star United States Marine Corps general. In fact, his family's made the ultimate sacrifice. Gold Star family lost their son. These allegations came out over Veterans Day weekend, which was doubly shocking. But are you suggesting insubordination by General Kelly? Well, I'm, I'm giving you the facts. That's what happened. I'll let you guys decide. More of what I saw was... It was just defying the Constitution. I mean, here you've got a president who was elected to do things he campaigned to do. And the reason this bothered me so much is I was a governor. I was elected. I know how hard it is. And I know that when you get into office, you want to do so much for the people who elected you, and you don't need anyone in your cabinet undermining you. And I think they honestly thought they were doing what was right. They, In their mind, they thought they were doing um, what they were doing was right. I happened to think what they were doing was wrong. Was General Mattis part of what, I can only call it what it is, a cabal. Was General Mattis part of this? I don't know. I I don't know. I never was in a room where that conversation was had with General Mattis. And and that's why I stick with the facts, because I don't want to make assumptions on anything else. I just know that that conversation happened with General Kelly and with Rex. Now, on page 151, your conversation with General Kelly and Secretary of State Killerson goes on for over an hour. What did they did they say? We are not going to follow the president's orders. Did they really go to insubordination? It, you know, it's actually astonishing to me. Not that they're working around and doing bureaucratic tricks. John Bolton was the most famous infighter that I know in the in the administration. But 
insubordination is different, Ambassador Haley. Well, you tell me. So we leave the meeting. The president had agreed that we would pull the money for UNRWA. And a few days later, half the money was given anyway. So they defied the president. Yes. And later the on, and the president was furious and exhausted. I mean, the the reason the president was upset because he couldn't get Rex to move on the Iran deal. That's why he sent me to Vienna to meet with the IAEA that would monitor Iran's nuclear production. There were many times that, that they just wouldn't do things or they would do something else. And the president was exhausted from it. Well, th- this allegation of a cabal is actually the biggest news to come out of, with all due respect. And Tammy Bruce, among others, has said this needs to be investigated. Have you talked with General Kelly since the book came out? I have not. You didn't get along very well with him either, I gather. I guess on page 184, you had to go around him to get a meeting with the president. Is that correct? You know, I got along with them fine on a day-to-day basis. The problem is I think General Kelly didn't appreciate the access that I had to the president. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And and I go on to tell him the, the book where he says, you know, I've got four, and this was, you know, with Rex as well, I've got four secretaries of state. And, you know, he was upset with with Jared. He was upset with me. He was upset with HR. You know, and, and he just wanted – it to be him and Rex and Mattis um, dealing with the president and not have us. But, you know, I had a job to do. I did for the president what I wanted my cabinet to do for me, which was be creative, serve the people, and if you see me going in a wrong direction, say something. I had a great working relationship with the president. In your your time at the U.N., did you work with uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kent, Ambassador Taylor, or Ambassador Yovanovitch at all? You know, I don't. I may have been in meetings with them, but I don't think I had any direct interactions with them. Uh, have you been following their testimony? I have somewhat, yes. Now it sounds to me. I, I don't think there's any illegal action by the president here. I don't think there's an offense, much less an impeachable offense. But I do understand that the State Department hates back channels and has since Harry Hopkins went to England in 1941, since John Scali dealt with the Soviets and during the Cuban Missile Crisis, since Kissinger went to China. The State Department hates back channels. How do you assess the criticisms from these career professionals who are obviously smart and talented of the president and Rudy Giuliani? Well, first of all, you know, we worked with many Foreign Service officers, and and I have um, great respect for them. They are true patriots. Um, They are experts in their field and helped me tremendously um, at the U.N., at the State Department. Um, But I will tell you, we did encounter um, Foreign Service officers at the U.N. that had a political bias, and they challenged us, and we would have to, you know, address it with them, sit them down, talk to them, tell them that, look, you know, we are we are doing the actions of the president. And so those things can happen. These people, you know, absolutely are patriots for serving their country. This is the part that bothers me is they are going off of a lot of assumptions. You know, to hear them say, well, this is what the president wanted. None of them had direct conversations with the president. To hear them say, oh, I heard a conversation between these two people and assume that you heard what the president said, there's a whole lot of perception and there's a whole lot of assumption. And when those types of things happen, you have to go back to the facts. All right, let me close, then, let me close Ambassador Haley, with 2024. We're going to have the vice president running for president. We're going to have Senator Rick Scott, maybe Ron DeSantis, maybe Governor Ducey, maybe Mike Pompeo. 
Is there any way you run in 2024? I just don't know. And I don't think it's worth thinking about. I think that right now I want to make sure that the president and vice president get elected um, and make sure that we can continue to, to work on Republican majority and, and keep our country strong strong and, and continue on the path that we're on. But, but I just don't know means it is possible because I'm looking at this as a, a, a conservative center right Republican backing talk show host. Who's got, you know, in 2016, I had to do 170 interviews to cover the field. I think the field's going to be that big. Do you think the field's going to be a lot more people than Mike Pence? I think our days are over when we have small primaries. I think that's true on the Republican side. I think it's true on the Democrat side. I think we're now going to have larger primaries going forward. And do you believe that the RNC ought to set up rules to eliminate, you know, marginal candidates who cannot possibly win the nomination so that we don't go through what we did in 16 and the Democrats are going through now, trapped by declarations of trying to run and get attention. You've got to set the bar high. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it's a fine line. I mean, I believe anybody that wants to run should run. I think that, you know, if that were the case, I never would have been able to run for governor. I was fifth out of five candidates, you know, least amount of money, least amount of name ID, and we worked our way up. What I do think um, that the Democrats have done better than the Republicans this time is how they've managed the debates. There have to be requirements that you have to meet to be in a debate so that we can start to lessen the number of people that are on that stage. Well, I think I think one of those requirements ought to be doing the Hugh Hewitt show monthly. How about that? I absolutely agree. (laughs) Ambassador Nikki Haley, thank you with all due respect. The brand new bestseller by our former United States ambassador to the United Nations. Go out and get it today. She'll be back often because I think she's going to run for president in 2024. But she didn't say that. She didn't say that. Thank you, Ambassador. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated. But they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. This is Michael Medved at michaelmedved.com for Town Hall. On one point regarding our country's current condition, Republicans and Democrats seem to agree. Three quarters in both parties say religion is losing influence in American life. According to a new study for Pew Research Center, Republicans consider that a bad thing by a ratio of nine to one, while half of Democrats say they're okay with the trend. Twenty-two percent say religion's decline makes no difference, while 25 percent insist that it's a positive development. But if organized faith continues to to lose influence, what force should take its place? Climatism, a new faith, derided by Yosef Yaffe in Commentary Magazine, promises earthly annihilation instead of heavenly salvation. For a hundred years, Marxist true believers created heavens on earth that became living hells for hundreds of millions, and unbridled secular materialism has recently spurred surging rates of deaths of despair. The spectacular failure of potential substitutes for organized faith have only served to emphasize its irreplaceability. Michael Medved. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.